Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are living with herpes to mental health resources as well as community support resources and empowering education tools and all that good stuff. I can be found on Instagram at H on my chest, which is where I'm most active. And between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Central Time, that's a new boundary I have to implement for myself. Not because anything bad's really happened, but I now have to shift more attention to the nonprofit functions of something positive for positive people rather than just the relationship and community building. So I'm always going to reply still. But if you message me outside those windows or if you notice that we've been corresponding and I just suddenly drop off, that's why I have to begin to implement that boundary in relation to the H on my chest, social media accounts, and all things something positive for positive people. I recently updated the website yesterday, actually, from the time of this recording to now include different ways that you can contact uh, us, me, at something positive for positive people. So if you are a licensed mental health care professional or I'm sorry, a licensed mental health care provider, so a therapist or a counselor. And if you're a certified yoga instructor, I want to support you and uplift you within this community, especially if you've already been through the trenches and we can start to do virtual group sessions. I can connect you with potential clients because it's just there's something about being connected to healing with someone who's already been through the trenches of NHSV diagnosis as we are learning from doing these group therapy sessions and yoga classes uh, through something positive for positive people. So these are all donation based. If you can join, if you can pay, please do. But for the most part, I just pay based on uh, well, I'll pay whatever it is that we have in the account I'll use to pay. Or if I need to throw extra to pay the instructor or the counselor, then I go ahead and do that. So if you can give, please do. And it helps those who absolutely cannot. And we always have a conversation about that if they are or they try to avoid a conversation and I let them know. I kind of fill that out. And then I am able to bring people into these spaces for themselves. Uh, any announcements? No. Oh, the rest of the website. I started rambling. So you can also reach out to me through there. There's a drop down menu on the contact page. If you are a media outlet, if you're a podcaster and you want to interview me on your podcast, or if you're someone who wants to be on this podcast, or if you want to write in to the blog, something positive from positive people, that's been getting a lot of uh, headway because people are maybe not at a place where they're ready to talk about their diagnosis or their experiences, but they're definitely at a place where they can write about their diagnosis and their experiences. So that's simply just a space for people to be able to write it out and get their story out there to support people in the safest way that they feel possible. That should be everything. Um, not missing anything. Oh, you can always donate. Go to www.spfpp.org. And on the homepage, you'll see options to donate. All right. Today, our guest is Bliss. Bliss, I got to ask you, what's the, you've got, you got like, it's Black History Month. And I'm assuming that the, what do you call it? The paint? Is it paint? It's like tribal face paint. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I do it every day during Black History Month. It's like a conversational starter, and I just have fun with it. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation starter. All right. What, uh, <laughs> are you, do you, like, go out and do things? Because it looks like you got on regular clothes, but then you have the, uh, tribal paint. 
kids will usually ask me about it or uh, my coworkers, and I wear it in public. Nothing's, it's nothing really to do. It's just something I do because I kind of feel like uh, with our history in this country, had we not been stripped of our traditions uh, in the beginning, we this would be like a norm, more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we would. I don't know. How old it's are they? How old are the kids that you work with? This middle school age. Do any of the, are there white kids there? Yeah. Do they ask if they can do it too? No, I've only had one student actually want to have their face painted and I painted it for them. Um, and it was a black student. Okay. I was <laughs> just curious. Of, like what the colors mean and stuff. Yeah. I was just, I was wondering like, what would that look like if, you know, a white kid <laughs> asked. I don't have a problem uh, doing it on a, a, a white student. I can't imagine if they went home to their parents, if their parents was Trump supporters or something like that. You're like, what the? Oh, f-? my God. <laughs> 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 All right. So let's get into it. So you're a obviously we've been talking long enough for people to realize by now that you're a black woman. Um, oh, what are your pronouns? I've not asked that in the last 50 ish episodes. <laughs> uh, she, her. OK, uh, I hate to assume. And then how old are you? Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and get right into it. So you reached out to me. At first, let's start there. I want to know what encouraged you to reach out to me. You emailed me. You had a well thought out email and you wanted to share your experience, not just with HSV, but also in relation to your mental health experiences that you've had as well. Oh, this is about to be good. Let's go. The floor is yours. I'll ask questions when you get to a stopping point or if you just if you see a look on my face and you want to elaborate more on something. So I'll leave you the floor. Well, where do you want me to start? Like, I want you to start. So let's start at the diagnosis. I usually have people start there. You okay. know, what was happening What uh, with your symptoms? What was your relationship to the partner who might have exposed you? And how were you delivered your diagnosis? And then next steps from there. school and all I knew is it was a Sunday night and I was working on this paper for school 
and I started feeling like a headache coming on, and then I didn't feel so well, and so I laid down, and I started to get a fever, and so my mom had came in, and she checked my temperature, and I had a fever, and so uh, they were worried, because they thought, oh my God, she has COVID, and so I called the advice nurse, and made an appointment to get tested for COVID, or whatever, and um, it just kind of started there. The next day, I still had, like, a fever, and it just kind of, like, fluid symptoms. I was really fatigued. Um, It just did not feel good at all. By the third day, I had chills. Um, The temperature wasn't there so much, just really fatigued. And then I started to notice that I had, like, this discharge kind of coming out, and and it was, like, horrendously smelling. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I don't understand. And so I called the advice nurse back again, and I was explaining my symptoms, and um, they were like, oh, it's fine, when's your COVID test? And I was like, it's on this date, so I was like, okay, uh, call us back as the symptoms get worse. And so by day four, I had noticed there was this discomfort in my genital region, and so I had looked, and I noticed bumps. And so I was like, well, that's weird. And so I started Googling everything and it was between what google pretty much spit back out to me it was between herpes or uh trick and so i called the advice nurse back i told them what my symptoms was and um oh no wait let me back up i actually went another day and the bumps actually opened up into blisters so it became worse and painful so i was like oh no i need to call the advice nurse because google ain't getting it and so I called the advice nurse, and they was like, oh, well, you need to go to the emergency room because it sounds like you could be having a herpes outbreak. So I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, Mom, because my mom and dad didn't want me to go nowhere because, you know, the COVID and stuff. And I had taken my COVID test, but, um, you know, they just didn't want me going anywhere. And they kind of quarantined me at the house just in case. And so I just told my mom this story. I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling too well. And I called the advice nurse. And uh, they told me that I should go into the hospital, and so, uh, but I'll keep you posted. So she was like, okay. So I went to the um, emergency room, and uh, I explained to them what was going on and stuff. And they asked me about how long, and I told them, like, a few days or whatever. And uh, the, they sent me back into the back room, and the examiner had came in. He starts asking me questions about, like, my sexual history and all that kind of stuff when the last time I had sex and all that kind of stuff. Mind you, the last time I had sex at this point was a week prior, and this might seem like a lot of information, but um, it was actually the first time that my partner had actually came in me, so uh, that'll make more sense later, but, um, so I start talking about all of that, and um, they did the... Are you pregnant? Oh, all right. <laughs> That's a whole other issue. But <laughs> no, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> but um, uh, they did the, they looked or whatever, and he was like, oh, that looks like herpes. And I was like, oh, my God. He <laughs> was like, we're going to test it, but we're going to have to do uh, uh, a whole, like, not procedure, that's not the word I want to use, like, um, like the a swab. process where, you know, you go into the vagina and crank it open and stuff, which was really traumatizing, honestly, because it was just so painful and uncomfortable down there, and then they stick this probe in you, and then they crack you open, and then it's like, ah, and so the nurse who was observing him, was you, know, you know, you uh, know, uh, she had it, 
real quick. So I, I just cringed at all of that. And the way that you just explained it. No, no, don't be. The way you explained it, like, I bitch about having had a Q-tip stuck down my dick hole. But you're talking about, like, a whole device that's being, like, put in there and cranked up and moved around and all that stuff. And I, I just, I, it just made me laugh. I was like, damn, you know what? I sound like such a, I sound so whack for that. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I'm complaining about a Q-tip. You got this whole, like, concoction that you're describing.
tell your partner to take these antibiotics. You both get cleared. You wait for two weeks, and then you can have at it. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. So while we're having this conversation, he then casually says, oh, yeah, by the way, you tested positive for HSV-1. So I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, well, you know, what exactly is that? Because he said HSV. I had never heard of it called HSV. I've always known, you know, herpes to be herpes. So he says um, it's basically oral herpes, and um, uh, your your test came back positive for HSV. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's like what my mom had. When I was younger, my mom, I was with my mom at a doctor's appointment, and the doctor told her that she had herpes. And so she starts freaking out, and the doctor's like, no, it's not the STD or herpes. It's oral herpes. And he basically tells her, um, I can't remember all that he told her, but I just know he, he calmed her nerves by telling her that it wasn't the STD type of herpes. It's like a totally different kind of herpes. And I just know uh, that my mom would sometimes have these breakouts on her mouth when we were younger, and she would blame it on dusting. She would say that, you know, because like, my mom was an avid cleaner. She said, oh, I was dusting and I broke out. And I just know, you know, just being a kid that she wouldn't kiss us when she had these breakouts from dusting. And so I carried this mentality about it as an adult. So I'm thinking, oh, okay. So I told the doctor, I said, well, my mom had that, you know, it's okay, cool. I'm thinking that it just came up from the blood draw that they did and it was no big deal. I didn't think there was no connection between like an STD or any kind of thing I could transmit. I just didn't know. So when I talked to my boyfriend later that day, I told him, I said, well, my doctor said there's no test for trick for men. So I don't know why your doctor didn't tell you that, but you, there is no test. There's no way to tell if you had it. But I, if you want to continue, you know, basically to do this, we're both going to have to take the antibiotics to get it clear. We can't have sex for two weeks. So, but I didn't even mention the HSV because I thought it was irrelevant. I didn't think it was relevant at all. So, um, so time goes by, whatever, and now we're in, uh, November and, uh, it's Thanksgiving and he came up to my, my apartment because now at this time I don't live with my parents anymore. I have my own place and, um, uh, he came over, whatever, and we ended up having sex and, uh, we had anal sex for the first time. And so uh, it was cool. Everything went smooth as far as I was concerned or whatever, and that was that. But the next day, I was experiencing, like, this discomfort. So I'm thinking, oh, well, it's probably because it was my first time, you know, having anal sex, whatever. I just kind of wrote it off. So a couple more days went by, and it went from just slight discomfort to itching. And um, I was just kind of like, okay, I'm not tripping. Like, I'm thinking it's still because of, you know, I don't, I wasn't, I didn't know much about anal sex. So I'm thinking, oh, it's just because we had anal sex a couple days ago, whatever, I don't know. So then it started to hurt when I went to the bathroom and I was like, okay, let me look. So I looked and I saw the same kind of sores like from before. So I was like, what the hell is this? I looked into HSV-1 and it kept coming up as oral herpes. Because I'm thinking at this point, well, this is the same source from before. We both took the antibiotics. I'm pretty confident that my partner is faithful. 
than anybody else. I thought you was about to say, I'm not faithful. Cyclovir.
day until it was gone, which I think was like seven days or something like that. And um, to fill the prescription again and just take it as needed, like if I had another outbreak, to start taking it again and to abstain from sex for two weeks. And so I uh, texted my boyfriend the results and I told him that he might want to get tested. And um, I also want to back up and say that when I was in that appointment with the gynecologist, I had asked them when the last time I was tested for HSV. Because I was trying to get a timeline together, like, okay, well, if I tested negative back here, then I know I didn't get it from such and such partners. I had to have gotten it from my boyfriend. Come to find out, all them times I got STD tested and told them, test me for everything. Never tested me for HSV. Never tested me. Oh, I was so upset. Oh, I was so upset. Because my thing is, it's like, when somebody says everything, that means all. Last I check, all means all. Like, that don't mean leave nothing out. And so when they left that out, I was upset because it's like, well, here it is now. I can't even definitively say if I got it from my boyfriend. If he turns up positive, did he get it from me? We don't know. Neither one of us knows. And so um, fast forward to now, whatever, my partner eventually goes and makes his doctor's appointment. He gets tested, and then um, he gets his results, and it was the same. He had HSV once negative for HSV2, but he's asymptomatic. He's never had outbreaks anywhere, to his knowledge anyway. So, And same thing with him. All the times he got tested, he had never been tested for HSV. So neither one of us knows um, where it came from or what happened. But um, just in, in slightly educating myself, you know, the doctor said that it could have came from oral sex. So it's something that either one of us could have picked up as kids, you know, we didn't really play the blame game. It's not like, oh my God, you gave me herpes or nothing. We just kind of took it what it was and we just pressed forward from there. That sounds like a full circle, you know, just positive interaction, like in navigating discussions when issues come up with STIs with a partner that you have. So the way that you were just able to communicate, you felt safe communicating with your partner. It sounds like y'all have an, a really healthy relationship. Yeah, we do. I was, I'm not going to lie. When the second outbreak happened, I didn't know what to say because I was like, well, this is getting ridiculous. I don't understand. And I was actually not going to say anything. I was going to just go to my doctor's appointment, get all the answers, and then bring it up. But I was like, no, something could be wrong. And I just decided to tell him. And he just, everything I've told him, he's always received it very well. And we, just, we do. We have a good communicative uh, relationship. Yeah, that's positive. Like, a lot of people are deathly afraid of having to communicate this to their partners, partly because maybe they uh, are afraid of the response being left or abuse or just having that their partner blame them for having given it to them. And it sounds like, you know, you went into it very objectively, like, let's figure out what happened. I'm going to give you the information. And then you allowed for him to receive the information and take the next steps. And then y'all were exchanging the information. So, yeah, shout out to y'all. That's a healthy ass interaction and way of dealing with not only a genital herpes outbreak and then a trick and then learning about that, going through the education process, but to also have it revisited uh, and from anal sex and then have to have a whole nother conversation. And y'all only been with each other. Right. So 
to be able to do that, to be able to have that, that poise and be able to discuss that, like that's a major takeaway from your experience, your story. I'm very disappointed in the medical professionals that you've dealt with because they just said, oh, that's oral herpes and they're looking at your genitals. Why wasn't this explained to you that HSV-1 transmits genitally? And it's primarily oral herpes. It presents as oral herpes primarily. It's not just oral herpes, right? And then type 2 is not just genital herpes. You can test positive for either of these and then have presentations of the virus in either location. And you've learned that now. Uh, but the the path of looking and figuring out that information didn't come, it, it didn't come as easy as it should for you. So you went and saw the same doctor your mom saw. No. Oh, okay. All right. That, that's how I heard it. All right. Go. Keep going. I'm sorry. Sorry. make up some wild shit don't we <laughs> we, ba- we make up the wildest shit oh my goodness I, I'm thinking back to it said the way that you handled everything seems to be the healthiest way possible like this is a cookie cutter example of how to navigate and you're in a monogamous relationship and also hold on i'm completely neglecting the fact that this all happened in 2020 right yes all right so diagnosed in july 
but just kind of like dismissed because that's oral herpes. I got a blood test done, so it's in my blood. And since it's oral herpes, nothing in the genital region is uh, affected. That would be my thought process if I'm hearing this from a doctor. Go, go on about your business. La, 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 la. Try anal sex for the first time. And then, bam, outbreak. Find another healthcare provider. And they tell you, oh, this is actually how herpes works. And this was in around Thanksgiving, right? That this it was November. Mm-hmm. Okay, so November that happened. December, we had January. Sex on Thanksgiving, uh-huh. But like the whole conversation happened in November. Okay, so this brings up a really good question. You're in a relationship, your partner is okay with it, accepting y'all exchange healthy dialogue. Why pursue any resources uh at that point? Like what made you look for, find something positive for positive people? And then get to the point where you were like, you know what? I want to do something. I want to contribute. I want to share. I want to help. Like, why did you find, how did you find the podcast? I know you said that you found it on Apple Podcasts, but what made you look for anything if you didn't need anything at that point? You hear that, sir? You hear that? You got a shout out. Free shout out. Alexandra Harbushka. Shouting out everybody today. Who else we need to let know? Who else we need to let people know about? <laughs> So you, so you heard me, you heard me bitching. <laughs> <laughs> you answered the call. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but no, that's, 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 that's
say this. Like, you were, I I don't know if you were upset, but I guess disappointed. You were disappointed when people would say things to you like, how many people are listening to your podcast? And then, like, you're just kind of like, well, that's not really what this is about. Or they would reject coming on to your show because you didn't have such such amount of viewers or whatever. And so that let me know that you're more about helping people. It doesn't matter how many people are listening. Do you want to tell your story to help others or not? And so I think that's something, I just decided that's something that I want to be a part of. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. And that's that was the intention behind yeah. it. Like I ain't want to shit on nobody. I didn't have to say names, but it, like no. you, you, it, it happens to me, and it, it's happened far more times than I'm comfortable with. So I just said, "Fuck it, I'm not reaching out to anybody anymore." So if people people are like you should interview this person, all right, go ahead, tell them they should be on the podcast, and we'll see what happens from there. And I just leave it at that. But I want the everyday people who are having these experiences. And just bring them all into one place. Like, the information, the people are scattered all over the fucking place. There, I can tell you of a dozen different herpes support groups that all do the same thing that are run by different people because people are petty and don't get along with each other for just basic-ass reasons. Like, someone gets into it, they're like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go start my own. And this is timely because I just made a story post today asking people about their experiences with the secret or private support groups that are, you know, not even really support groups. So there are so many of these out there that if they were to just come together, if people were to just be like, hey, this is available, if you need it, and people were to just like, let that catch on and share, then it would probably be a group for people who don't have herpes. Cause I think that that should be more common. Like, Hey, do you not have herpes? Come join my group at this point with yeah. as much shit as I've seen. And then it also speaks to just how people are because when people get power, they, they do shit with it. And the, the I'm over the stuff that I've seen. Cause as soon as I got exposed to, um, like the politics of herpes support groups, I got the fuck out of there. Like, and at that point it was just like, go, I'm going to just make my own shit. This ain't doing nothing for me. This ain't doing nothing for anybody. Like, this is just a perpetual cycle of stigmatization. People can come in and they can vent and bitch about their experiences, perfectly valid, and then have more perpetual negativity. But if I come in and I say, hey, there's this, there's these social media accounts, the people who are in charge of these support groups will delete their posts They'll market as spam because I also started the podcast and I was looking for podcast guests. What better place to go for podcast guests than in a herpes group if your podcast is about interviewing people with herpes? So they even made that a pain in the ass for me. Not a pain in the ass like you had, obviously, but like more difficult than it needed to be. So, yeah, it's I'm glad that it happened because things had to happen the way that they did in order for everything to be where it is now. But I I'm over the obstacles. So I'm putting the call out there. If people want to support, if people want to put themselves out there in a safe, comfortable way, you can write or I can interview you. And like how you're interviewing with me right now, we're on live and I'm talking into this podcast, we're recording stuff. No one knows who you are, but they know your story. And I think that that's probably what's yeah. more important than anything else. Like, I'm not planning on getting rich off herpes. I plan on helping a lot of people, you know, through herpes because this is how people typically find me. And in finding me through herpes, it goes back to the core of what this really is, which is a mental health resource. It's a suicide prevention resource. And like... 
people call me a sex educator and all this other shit, a herpes advocate, which I hate. Don't ever call me a herpes advocate. If anything, you're going to, if there's anything you'll say, please say herpes education advocate or STI education advocate, something along those lines. I am not advocating for people to get herpes because that's what that sounds like to me. So all of that said, like it's a suicide prevention resource. I am working as a journalist investigating a topic. I've been doing this shit for four years. Just so happened to have gotten a nonprofit status out of this so that people who want to get involved with this can get involved. And it's a more safe way to do so. And it's something that, you know, along the way, we don't have a cure. There is not a cure that's in the near future right now. And even if we have one, that's not going to negate the mental health impacts of SCI stigma. It's not going to go away. It'll just look different. Like we're stigmatized with the virus. We stigmatize ourselves with the virus in these groups. And we do that in our own support spaces. We do it in the waking moments of life. People stigmatize us as people who are carrying the herpes virus, and the list goes on. The shit ain't going nowhere, so all we can do is learn how to live with it through therapy, through support, through community, and working with one another. So these investigations that I'm doing, like that's what the solution seems to be, and it's a perpetual one. So as people begin to find these resources and get connected to the healing of the self-stigmatization, I think that that's probably going to be the best thing we can do, but it's just going to take for every individual who finds it to be willing to step into that space of healing and tying all of that in with being about mental health and suicide prevention. We can now talk about your mental health uh, and what you were trying to share with me that you wanted to speak on. with uh, bipolar disorder with mixed episodes. Uh, basically what that is, is uh, you can experience manic episodes, which is like bouts of excitement or uh, euphoric excitement, depending because there's, there's manic episodes and there's hypomanic episodes. With hypomanic, it's not as severe or as um, out of control as a manic episode. Uh, but they kind of fall on that spectrum of the manic end. And then you have uh, depressive episodes where, of course, you have the downed mood. And, um, yeah, I mean, anything that you know to be depression, pretty much a downed mood. Well, when you take the two and they become one in a mixed episode, what can happen is you can experience both manic and depressive episodes at the same time. Um, they can do what's called rapid cycle, which is when they interchange quickly, so I can go from uh, being slightly manic to depressed um, in anywhere from a day, maybe an hour, depends on the situation of what's happening, Uh, or uh, they can be triggered to where something happens, whether it's something traumatic or even something uh, unideal for the person at the time. Uh, you can trigger a manic or a depressive um, episode. Mm. And so kind of like um, what I was explaining to you earlier, like I was super excited 
for this um, interview, and so I could feel myself starting to slip into a manic episode. I'm like, you gotta calm down, just saying, okay, like I didn't, I did not foresee being this excited, but I guess I was just excited to tell my story, and now to finally have the opportunity to do so uncensored. Um, and so that excitement kind of turned into kind of being fixated on it, and then um, just you can feel it. Uh, it's it's not anxiety, but it's like this energy in my chest or like in my abdomen. It's like this really intense energy that you can feel. And uh, just trying to relax and calm down and not look uh, <laughs> or come across out of control, you feel me? But um, it's a whirlwind. And sometimes what happens is when you're experiencing a mixed episode when the two are happening at the same time, that can manifest into being agitated, angry, irritable, um, um, impulsivity, uh, uh, grandiosity. Like grandiosity is when you kind of think of yourself higher uh, than what's appropriate. So that's like me walking around thinking, oh, I'm literally a queen up in here, you know, bow down to me because you should worship at my feet kind of attitude where in reality I'm a basic citizen in these streets, like, <laughs> how, <laughs> you know. how long ago were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Um, I was officially diagnosed in 2017. How long yeah. were you having episodes or symptoms and no one knew what was going on? Twenty 
23 when I was actually, or no, 22. I was 22? No, I was 22 or 23, one of those two, when I was actually diagnosed uh, because I had had my first depressive episode. And when I went into that depression, that first one was a, whoo, Jesus, like. Question. It was bad. How did you recognize it as depression? What is what is three four months? What does three to four months of depression look like? You're just at least for me, it started off with just always thinking about the trauma, you know, thinking about what happened that triggered it, thinking about the circumstances around it. Because uh, with my particular situation, there was a lot of hostility around the situation and a lot of. Uh, threats and violence um, around the situation and so just constantly being in fear uh, thinking about the situation and then it, it got to a point where I was crying myself to sleep in intervals I would cry myself to sleep wake up just to cry myself back to sleep again um, uh, and then it started to escalate where I was sleeping all day I didn't want to get out of bed there was it was just nothing worth living for. I just would sleep all day just to wake up to the thoughts of what was going on at the time. And, so it's uh, like it stuck a good word. Like you may have been stuck in this thought pattern of reliving your trauma. Yeah, stuck in the thought pattern, living, reliving the trauma. And then at, when I was in the depression, I was still being traumatized by members of my family because of the situation that happened. So they were just re-triggering so you. So it's like, yeah, just re-triggering me. And then it got to a point where I didn't, and I explain it like this, because I think it's important um, to understand the levels of suicidal uh, ideology. So I was experiencing so much emotional pain that I started too long for physical pain to override the emotional pain I was feeling. So I started because I didn't have a car. I was walking everywhere at the time. And so I started having thoughts of jumping out into the street to get hit by a car. And uh, I would think to myself, okay, if I can just jump out in front of this car and it hit me just right where I don't die, but it lands me in the hospital and I can, I can get a break from this emotional pain and experience some more tangible physical pain. Because I had never experienced emotional pain like this in my whole life. I didn't even know it was called depression. I didn't know what it was. I knew there was a problem. This was not normal for me, and I didn't like it. That's all I knew. Who did you and go to? So, who'd, you, who'd you go to for help at that point? And 
information was not helpful um, as far as like um, trying to alleviate the trauma I was experiencing at the time. And she didn't even know the full extent of the trauma that I was experiencing at the time. And so, but she knew that I was sad. And so she had recommended that I see a therapist. Even oh. though later she ended up mocking me. Wait, wait, wait. So your, your mom recommended that you see a therapist. That's shocking to me. Yeah, that's shocking to me because I think that a lot of, uh, and this is applicable to more black families or minority families or people who are in communities that are just underserved or perhaps undereducated about mental health issues. Growing up, my grandparents, they'd be like, go outside. If I was sad, if I was not doing what I normally do, they'd be like, you bored, take your ass outside, go play, go do something. And that was like what the cure for what might have been depression for me. Looking back, like, I know I was bored, but I knew that they wouldn't let me get bored or stay bored too long. They would always have me doing shit. And even if it was shit I didn't want to do, like I was doing something. So I've always questioned whenever I'm talking to black people about mental health, if they had like a similar experience of in childhood, like uh, grandparents, parents, or even like downplaying what mental health issues look like because they just don't recognize them. that and I got that response when I was younger I'm older my aunt was on medication for bipolar and schizophrenia like when she was on her medication she was my auntie when she was off her medication I didn't recognize her and like still to this day like I hear from her she'll call me out the blue sometimes and she won't sound like how I remember her but when I don't hear from her and I like see her let's say I go well it's been a while but like if I go to my dad's house if he has a gathering and she's there she's like yeah what up nephew and we'll talk about old days like nothing was ever wrong or like she wasn't doing the uh things that you would do during a manic episode because like we've had to go and get her from places sometimes and she'd end up somewhere doing a thing that she shouldn't be doing in a place that she shouldn't be at. And it's all as a result of her just having not taken her medication. But that dismissed in childhood as being crazy or nuts or out there or bad shit, whatever, or retarded. Retarded was probably the biggest one that was used. She grew up in like legit has a mental illness. Like how would things have shaped out for her life had she been treated on time or when symptoms first presented themselves? Crazy. 
what she had, I don't know. I have an aunt the same way. I now suspect that she's schizophrenic, but uh, do I know that from a family member telling me that? No, it's just from educating myself on mental illness. Yeah, um, why do we have to self-educate and, ourselves on mental health? You know, I've always, and I don't know if this is correct, but this is what I personally speculate. I've speculated that, um, and this might sound cliche as well, but it's just my thought. Anyway, um, when we think back to slavery, and we think back to the condition that we had to be in in order to be seen as useful, or uh, or uh, profitable, we had to be in good shape. You know, if we was not in good shape, then there was there was there was consequences to that. If you were born lame, you know what I'm saying. There were consequences to that, and so I think over and this is again me speculating, but I think over a course of time we started to stigmatize ourselves because we've always had to present ourselves in this way of being in good shape being perfect, being um, okay. We was not allowed to complain for the longest time. It wasn't legal for us to complain. Oh, master, the show is hot out here. Can we take a break? That wasn't an option. I want to offer a little bit of perspective there because if we are just speculating, um, I don't remember where I heard this. It had to have been a podcast I was listening to. But during slavery, um, having been, you have to be inferior or in defense of, Something like, oh, master, he just stupid. He don't know no better. So, like, now parents got to beat, you know, their adult-looking 14-year-old sons to keep them from being seen by the master as an, a full-grown-ass man who doing some shit he ain't got no business doing. So now, like, I'm seeing uh, where the physical abuse has to happen as a way of instant discipline. And then being able to defend ourselves with... He just don't know no better. He he crazy. He ain't right in the head or he whatever language it was that we had to work with. And that translates as time developed and we become educated. We can read and see all of these things like being able to do so in a way that takes advantage of the system or keeps us safe. Having to downplay how smart we are so that we're not seen as a threat. Having to downplay how uh, talented we are so that we're not taken advantage of all of these kinds of things even among each other even you know that you either need to present as perfect or you need to stay under the radar there's no in between hey this is where we're gonna we're gonna stop here and we can pick this up i want to i want to do a part two with you so i'm gonna go ahead and uh pause this here so um i don't necessarily know what this is going to be called but stay tuned for part two of this episode